0: continuing in the book of psalm we are going to continue in our series songs from the heart and so tonight we're opening up to psalm 17 and we are going to begin praying from the heart so i think it would be appropriate that we just go before the lord in prayer right now father we come to your word and lord we know that it Your word is what we need. We know that your word is a guide for our lives. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light that shines in the darkness, Father God, that shows us which way to go and keeps us on the straight and narrow. Your word is also a mirror that reveals who we are and a surgical knife that cuts out both the things that we don't need that are not a good part of us but also uh, cuts out and reveals to us who we are according to your word. As we turn to it, Father, may we look at this scripture before us as a map for ourselves, Father God. Lord, we desire to be closer with you. Lord, we We're almost jealous of those that we think have a closer relationship with you. And we go, man, what is it that they're doing? What is it that they're doing? And Father, it's those who seem to have a closer relationship, those who seem to have you at their side, those who seem to make it through the toughest of times. It's all about prayer. Teach us more about communicating with you, Father God. Help us to apply it and to be able to live it out. In Jesus' name. Amen. So David is well known for the Psalms that he's written. We've already looked at almost all the Psalms that we've looked at are David's Psalms. So it's no surprise tonight that this is also a Psalm of David. Uh, Most Psalms are songs or hymns, but tonight we come to a Psalm. It is explicitly listed in the italics there as a prayer. And if you remember what we said about the italics, those are the inspired words of scripture. These are the titles originally given to these Psalms. And so we can look at that and know that it was listed as a prayer. Probably it could have been a prayer that was um, recited together. It could have been a prayer that they used as a model. Tonight we are going to look at this as a model prayer. Many would read the exploits of David's life. How many of us have, have read the stories of the things that David accomplished in his life and, and haven't been overcome with that sense of awe going, I wish my life was half that exciting. I wish that God was half as active in my life. Why is it that David has such a close knowledge and a close relationship with the Lord? Why does he seem to experience victories that I can only dream of? The truth is that those victories, they're born out of a devotional life to the Lord, a life of prayer, prayer that comes from the heart. And so as I said, this psalm is a model prayer for us, not on what to say when you pray, but on what it means to pray from the heart to God. It's a prayer that calls upon God to act. It's a prayer that makes arguments in its appeal to the Lord. And when we think about making arguments to the Lord as we appeal to him, we we think that we're trying to convince him, like God is reluctant and God is, um, we just have to make sure that we make a good argument so that God can go, oh, you're right, I can't argue with that, as if God couldn't argue back with us. It's not a rote recitation of needs and wants. David shows us his focus is on why God should answer. It shows that there's a knowledge of God, a closeness with God, and what we need to see is that the arguments in prayer, they're not to persuade an unwilling God to come and act. It's rather the arguments cause the one praying to thoroughly think through what they're asking that they might sharpen their requests. And so this Psalm of David shows a a remarkable trust in God and a lack of confidence in himself as well as his looking towards his glorious heavenly hope. And Spurgeon said this of David. Spurgeon said, David would not have been a man after God's own heart if he had not been a man of prayer. He was a master in the sacred art of supplication. As a master in the privilege of prayer, my prayer is tonight, we look to David in this model prayer and we glean what it means to pray from the heart. So if you'll follow along with me, starting in verse one. Verse one, it says, Lord, hear a just cause. Pay attention to my cry. Listen, listen. To my prayer from lips free of deceit. Let my vindication come from you, for you see what is right. You've tested my heart. You've examined me at night. You have tried me and found nothing evil. I've determined that my mouth will not sin. Concerning what people do, by the words from your lips, I've avoided the ways of the violent. My steps are on your path, my feet have not slipped. I call on you, God, because you will answer me. Listen close and closely to me. Hear what I say. Display the wonders of your faithful love, Savior of all who seek refuge from those who rebel against your right hand. Protect me as the pupil of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who treat me violently, my deadly enemies who surround me, they're uncaring, their mouths speak arrogantly. They advance against me, now they surround me, and they're determined to throw me to the ground. They're like a lion eager to tear, and like a young lion lurking in ambush. Rise up, Lord, confront him, bring him down. With your sword, save me from the wicked. With your hand, Lord, save me from men, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their bellies with what you have in store. Their sons are satisfied and they leave their surplus to their children. But I will see your face in righteousness when I awake and I will be satisfied with your presence. What we're looking at here is not what to pray to the Lord, but how our heart should be before the Lord in prayer. When you pray from the heart to the Lord, you need to make sure that you have a heart that is set on God. I've known many people that go to God in prayer and their heart is not set on God at all. Their heart is set on where they're at. Their heart is set on what's coming up tomorrow. Their heart is set on many other things, but not set on God. In the first two verses, and I've broken this down based on how the poetry in the Hebrew actually is. And so this psalm is a strophic poem, it means it has strophes to it. Strophes are like paragraphs, they're thoughts. And alongside breaking it into thoughts, David used parallelism in order to communicate what he's praying. And so what we find are different forms of parallelism, and we're going to look at two of them tonight. One is called synthetic, the other is called synonymous. And so David says, Lord, hear a just cause. Pay attention to my cry. Listen to my prayer from lips free of deceit. Let my vindication come from you, for you see what is right. Now, Hebrew poetry, as we know, it doesn't use rhyming schemes like in in the English where we take words that sound similar and we just rhyme them together. Hebrew poetry takes ideas that rhyme with each other and then they use that. And so in the first strophic thought communicated by David, David is praying from his heart to God with a heart that is set on God. And to pray from the heart to God, our heart like David's must first be set on God. And the first verse is using Synthetic parallelism. And synthetic parallelism, what it does is that each line of it develops a meaning from one line to the next. And if you were to break this off and see it in the poetry, each one of those indents at the same point until you get to from lips free of deceit. That one would indent further because that's building upon the other three. And so uh, David writes, he says, Lord Yahweh. Hear a just cause. Pay attention to my cry. Listen to my prayer. Three times, David calls out to God. David has a cause. David has something troubling his heart that is causing him to cry out. And that word for cry out, is, it's, it's like a, a, a prey when the predator has caught it. It's that, it's that shrill shriek, last cry of effort. And David is set on the Lord and he turns to him in prayer. In his trouble, he's set on the Lord. Sometimes in our trouble, we're set on our problems, we're set on everything else but the Lord. We, we try everything else that we know how to do before we go to the Lord. But if our heart is set on God, we become like David. David was natural to prayer because he did it so often. It was almost like breathing for him. It was the same as breathing in and breathing out. It was so automatic. This one was particularly urgent and fervently crying out. And so what builds upon these calls from David is that David calls on God to come here, pay attention, and listen to him, because what he's speaking and what he's sharing does not come from corruption or is deceitful. The thing you need to hear, Lord, comes from lips that are free from deceit. Now, as a parent, I have a lot, I have extreme experience with this. A child comes running to you. The world has ended, screaming at the top of their lungs. They give you their side of the story. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. Who could have thought to do such a thing, let alone your sibling? And so as any dutiful parent does, we listen to that, and we go marching after them, and we're ready to lay down the law. Only when we get there, we get the other side of the story. Apparently, child number one left out half the details. So then you're at a quandary. Now what do you do? After sharing and getting the attention of their mother or I, When we go to handle things, we come face to face with the other side. We learn how it played out. It's not what we were told. And this calls, the calls to us would be calls from deceitful lips. But David calls to God declaring his lips free from deceit. And unlike my wife and I, God knows what is true and what's not. So it would be a rather audacious claim from David, knowing that God is all-knowing, knowing knowing that God is all-seeing, knowing that God is omniscient, it would be an audacious claim for David to go, my lips are free from deceit, and God going, yeah, right, buddy. I don't think so. But he's able to say that. And so, the second verse is another parallel where David expands this thought of his heart being set on God. This parallel is a synonymous parallel. This omniscience of God is precisely why David is set on God and coming to him. David wants the Lord to judge on this matter. He says, I want my vindication to come from you for you see what is right. I see David coming, laying it all down before God, setting it at God's feet and saying, you handle this. A heart set on God can take our things and set it before God and say handle handle this as opposed to us going you know what I'm going to handle this myself because whenever we handle something ourselves in that type of manner we never do it right and so David says let my vindication come from you Lord because you see what is right You see, hearts set on God trust their problem to the Lord's judgment. We don't have to interfere in it. We don't have to mess with it any longer. We can lay it at God's feet and let God handle it. Saying, God, I don't want to take matters in my own hands. I trust you. I'll wait for your presence to vindicate me. The heart set on God desires to know that it is God acting and not their own self. then we get the picture from David of something else that we have to do. When we come to God and we want to pray from the heart, we have to have a clean heart before God. We have to have a clean heart before God. Look at verse three. He says, you've tested my heart. You've examined me at night. You've tried me and found nothing evil. And I've determined that my mouth will not sin. So this is the next strophe, this is the next paragraph or the next idea, and it's just one verse all by itself, but it expresses how David can boldly come to God because his heart is clean before the Lord. When your heart is clean before God, it's so much easier to go before him, right? When there's something clouding our heart, when there's something covering our heart, when there's something that is wrong in our heart, the furthest place of where we're going to go is God. We're going to run from him. We're going to hide from him. We're going to do everything we can to avoid him. It's like in the garden when God came walking in the cool of the evening in the garden and Adam and Eve were nowhere to be found and God says, where are you? He didn't, it, it wasn't like God was like, oh no, I can't find, I lost the people. I put them in this garden and now they're gone. God was mentioning something to them, saying, look, your heart is no longer clean before me. That's why you're hiding. When we hide from God, it's because our heart is not clean before him. So David comes before the Lord with a clean heart, and he's using, again, synthetic parallelism to develop the idea of this clean heart with each statement. He says, you've tested my heart. You've examined me at night. You've tried me. You've tested my heart, David says. Speaking of God having put David's heart to the test, God does this. He puts us in situations that puts our heart to the test, and he's done that with David. He puts his heart to the test. There's many different times where David's heart has been put to the test. There's the time where he had to face off with Goliath. His heart was put to the test. Who are you gonna trust? When he was anointed to be king, but not yet king yet, his heart was put to the test. Can you wait on God's timing? What about when Saul sought to destroy David? His heart was put to the test, especially in the cave when he had his chance to strike Saul down. And so David is able to come before the Lord and saying, you've tested my heart. And when God tests the heart, what he's doing, he's not testing it like he's trying to figure out how smart our heart is. What he's doing is trying to ascertain the nature of the heart, not for himself because he knows the hearts of men. He wants us to know our heart. He wants to reveal the imperfections to us. He wants to reveal the faults to us, the other qualities to us. That's what happens when we say, God, search my heart. Reveal to me anything that is not of you. That's a dangerous prayer to pray, but it's a bold prayer to pray and it allows you to go before God with a clean heart. David says, Lord, you've already uncovered the nature of my heart. And then he says to the Lord, you've examined me at night. Anybody ever been woken up in the middle of the night? Can't figure out why they can't sleep? Maybe the Lord's testing your heart. Hey, you can't sleep, what are you going to do? Try to sleep? Or are you going to go, hey, I'm alone with God? Where's your heart? Is your heart set on God? Sometimes God examines us at night. Are you able to sleep? Some of us can't sleep because there's so many things that we got going wrong in our life that we're, and things that we've done wrong in our life that we're kept up at night and we can't sleep. So God is there examining us at that time too. And that word examined, it, it reminds me of the doctor's office, right? You go to the exam room, they examine you, they look at you, they inspect you, they spend time with you. Well, many doctors today, they don't spend much time. They walk in and they go, hey, how's it going? Hey, write you something and walk right out. A good doctor will spend time examining you. He he will look you head to toe. He will make sure that he or she will make sure that everything's all in working order. You can't get a proper examination without spending time. David's saying, Lord, you visited me. You visited me briefly. You visited me for unspecified amount of time. Especially at night. And night is when our hearts are open to scrutiny. And then David finally adds, Lord, you've tried my heart. To try something is to test it. David's speaking of a testing by refining. It's in reference to a refiner who takes a metal and tries it. And as they try the metal, it tests the quality of it. It reveals the purity of it. David says, you've tried my heart. In all these testing, examining, and the trying, David says, God has found nothing evil. That's what God has found in his heart, nothing evil. At each step, nothing was found that was evil, not in the intentions of him, not in the motives of his heart, not in the desires, not anywhere in the heart was anything evil found. And David was able to come through under such scrutiny for this reason. I've determined that my mouth will not sin. Some say that that specific line is in reference to when he's um, talking about Saul and he's chosen not to say anything against Saul. Maybe he's determined then not to sin from his mouth. But the mouth being the hardest thing to control and the easiest thing for us to let go and go, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to say that. Um, that's not what I meant. That's, you know We have all sorts of excuses on, on what comes out of our mouth. Remembering that Jesus said what comes out of the mouth reveals what's in the heart. David says, I've determined that my mouth will not sin. The only way that he can follow through on that determination is to make sure that his heart is not filled with anything unpure. Now, there's a question that comes up. David was resolved not to sin, even with his mouth. Does this mean David was sinless? Because God found no evil in him. No. We know for a fact David sinned. It's in scripture. God didn't hide the fact that David was a fault, uh, a flawed man who sinned dearly. He sinned with Bathsheba, so he's in an, an adultery. He sinned against Uriah with murder, and he sinned against Abimelech when he lied, saying that Saul had sent him and that he was there for food. Abimelech lost his life, and so did many others in the temple. Ray Comfort would tell David something like this. By your own admission, you are a lying, murdering, adulteress at heart, and based on the law of God, you're destined for hell. And it would be true. So how is it that David passed the examination of God? God? the same way anybody does. You must confess and repent and deal with your sin before God. Having a heart pure before God doesn't mean coming to God after you've fixed everything. It means coming to God and confessing everything. In Isaiah 118, the Lord puts out his, his um, see, I don't have my, there it is. Isaiah 118, God comes before and and he lays it out for everybody. He says, come, let's settle this. Other translations, come, let's reason together. Let's talk about this. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. God says, though you've sinned, though you've made a mar, though you've made a mess of everything, he says, it will be clean. I will cleanse it. We've seen this fulfilled in the New Testament. First John, the Apostle John tells us, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you've dealt with your sin before God, you can come before God with a clean heart. Now I'll go back to this. A heart clean before God, it does not hide. It invites God to test and probe. A heart clean before God says, I think I've confessed everything. Lord, if there's anything else, reveal it to me. I'll confess that too. That's the strength of one who says, test me, Lord, try me, examine my heart, my mind. And they can, with the confidence Iterate the words of Job. Yet he knows the way I've taken. When he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. We don't have to fear coming before God to cleanse our hearts. He's promised to cleanse us and purify us. David, when he comes to God and he's praying from the heart, he comes to God with a heart for God's word. You can't pray to God and have a closeness with God if you don't care about his word. If your heart is not set on God's word, why are you praying to him? How are you going to listen to him? And so David cares about what God says, and he shows it because he has a heart for God's word. This is what he says in verses 4 through 6. He says, concerning what people do, by the words from your lips, I've avoided the ways of the violent. My steps are on your path and my feet have not slipped. I call on you, God, because you will answer me. Listen closely to me. Hear what I say. So David continues in his prayer to God. And he gives us three more synthetic parallelisms. Each verse of the next three verses is its own parallel. So the first one, David says, concerning what people do, concerning the doings of people, the workings of men. David is saying, considering the deeds of men, but he's saying more than that. He's saying, considering the evil that men do, the norm of the evil that men do. If we looked around in our culture today, we could say the same thing. And considering how this world is living right now, we have two choices, right? You can go with it or you can go against it. The norm is for people to have their deeds evil, their ways are sinful. David says, I've avoided the ways of the violent. I've away, avoided the ways of the destroyer. Referring to the wicked, or to the wicked one. David's looking around and seeing in terms of the wicked one, in terms of the wicked, we, wicked deeds going on around him, he realizes he's treading in enemy territory, and there's an adage that everybody likes to refer back to that says, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, but we're not called to do that. When in the world, we're not to do as the world does. When, when, in sin, when, when you're surrounded by sin, you don't do as the sinners do, Even if you go to Paul's missiological statement in which Paul says, to the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Greek, I became a Greek. He never says, to the sinner, I became a sinner. We always keep that separate lifestyle, that separation from what everyone else is doing, even if everyone else is doing it. In fact, if everyone else is doing it, it's probably a good sign that it's wrong. But David says, I've avoided And I've been kept from the ways of this lifestyle. I've been kept from the practices of the destroyer. Proverbs tells us that we would be wise to keep off the path of the wicked. Don't proceed on the way of the evil one. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away from it and pass by it. How? We can't look to our leaders to show us what's morally right. We obviously can't look to our educators to show us what's morally right. This day and age, you can't even look to churches to tell you what's right. I'm sure we would all love to know how we can avoid it, though. David gives us the answer. It's by the words from God's lips. His word. We're told that the scriptures are the very word of God. And it's through the word of God that David says he has kept off the pathways of the violent, the wicked, and the evil. This is what he writes later on in the Psalms. He says, I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. We take the word of God And we take it in so it becomes a part of us. It is now what's in our heart. All that evil and all that corruption that God has been cleaning out, we fill it instead with Scripture, and that Scripture keeps us on the straight and narrow. David continues on. He says, because of your word, my steps are not on the path of the violent, but they are on your path, Lord. David says, my steps, my footsteps, my life steps, my choices, my decisions, my actions, my words, that's what he's saying, my steps, they're on your paths, Lord. We see that David's heart in this, he says, because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Some of us would say, because of my adversaries, the ends justify the means. Because of my adversaries, I'm going to get what, what's rightfully due me. I'm going to make sure they understand. The one whose heart is set on the word of God says, because of everything going on in my life, Lord, show me your way. Everything in this world is confusing. I need you to show me, Lord. so that he may guard the paths of justice and protect the way of his faithful followers. And so David then acknowledges as he's on the pathway of God, he says he has firm footing in the pathway of the Lord. He says, my feet have not slipped. And that's true. Your feet won't slip when you hold on to the word of God. that word paths, I looked up one of the other translations. One of the other translations calls it, Lord, I have followed in your wagon tracks. And if you think about how wagon tracks can leave divots in the ground, when you put your feet in those divots, you can't move to the left or the right, can you? All you can do is keep following it. David is saying, my feet are in the divots of your path, Lord, and I cannot go left or right because I'm holding on to your word and I'm following in your well-worn paths. I'm not wavering and I'm not being shaken by the things going on around me. Again, we go back to Job. Job says, my feet have followed in his tracks. I have kept to his way and not turned aside. Put your feet in the tracks of the Lord. And the way you do that is by his word. What his word says, that's what you do. That's where he's leading you. You don't have to necessarily go, oh, Lord, I don't know which way you want me to go. I need to discern your, your will for me, Lord. I need to know, do I go left or right right now? No, you, you just need to make sure you're following the principles of his word, the teachings of his word. What he says you do, you do. What he says you don't do, you don't do. You walk in those well-worn paths that he's laid out for us. David then says, I call on you, Lord, because you'll answer me. Where's his confidence in the Lord come from? I'll tell you this, his confidence in the Lord comes because he knows the word of God. God promises those who call on me, I will answer them. He says, therefore, I know you'll answer, so listen closely to me, Lord. This isn't an audacious claim of him. This is him holding on to that faith. Not saying that God's going to do whatever he says just because he says magic words or anything, but because he knows that the Lord does listen and the Lord does answer every time. Sometimes we say, Oh, God didn't answer my prayer. No, he did. You just didn't like the answer. David had God's word. David lived by God's word, knowing God's word. It meant that David knew God's character. You know why? God has revealed himself in his word, he's not a mystery. He's not not somebody that we cannot know. He's revealed himself in his word because he wants to be known. He wants to have that relationship with us so that we could boldly call out onto God as David does because we would know from God's word that God has promised that he answers those who call to him. Jeremiah 33, three, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great incomprehensible things that you do not know. Psalm 91:15 when he calls out to me I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. Or even the world's most successful prophet or the world's worst prophet, whichever way you want to look at it, Because uh, he didn't even enjoy his success, but he's the only prophet who ever has a, a recorded convert in scripture. Jonah, I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. That's someone who knows that God will answer no matter where you're at. You feel like you're in the depths and the pits of this life. Some of us would go, oh, God can't hear me from this. I'm so low right now, God can't hear. No, God can still hear you. Call out to him. One who has a heart for God's word knows if they call on the Lord, he will answer them. If we truly believe that, if we truly held on to that in our heart, we would call upon God way more often than we do. We need to get back to the point where we know God will answer us. We need to come to prayer with a heart that knows God's love. A heart that knows God's love. Look at verse seven. It says, display the wonders of your faithful love. Savior of all who seek refuge from those who rebel against your right hand. Protect me as the pupil of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who treat me violently, my deadly enemies who surround me. They're uncaring, their mouths speak arrogantly. They advance against me, now they surround me. They're determined to throw me to the ground. They're like a lion eager to tear, like a young lion lurking in ambush. So, after declaring that because he knows God's word and knows from it that he'll answer, David then comes to God with his request. You see, when you're confident in the word of God, now you can come with your request for God because you also know about the love of God. He says, di- he says, display the wonders of your faithful love. What an awesome prayer. What an awesome prayer. Lord, display the wonders of your faithful love. Psalm twenty-five, ten: all the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. Those who want to know the love of the Lord, if they look for it, they will see it in everything the Lord does. Because the Lord does everything from the standpoint of love. Psalm 86, five. It says, for you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive. Abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. David knows, call on the Lord, he'll answer. Call on the Lord for his love, he'll answer. There's no one who's gonna call on the Lord for his love that God's gonna go, you know what? I don't love you, I'm sorry. I got no love for you. David calls on God, display your love in such a way to inspire wonder in all who see for all who receive it. And when he talks about your put your wondrous faithful love on display, David's thinking of the faithful love of God that speaks to God's covenantal loyalty, his unfailing love in history and experience and also in scripture. God has shown himself to be a God who shows love for those who seek him. And he starts pointing this out, he says, one of those ways that you do that, Lord, is by being a savior. Being a savior is a wondrous demonstration of God's love. All who seek refuge find salvation in the loving arms of God. What could be more of a wondrous display than that? Those who seek refuge, those who desire to get away from those who rebel against God's might and God's sovereignty. When it says, um, save me, let me seek refuge from you. Save me from those who rebel against your right hand. He's saying those who rebel against your sovereignty, from those who rebel against your power, from those who rebel against you, God. Save me from them. This is one who calls out and says, I don't want to be like them. I want to be with you, God. God. David knows God's saving love. And this is on the other side of the cross. But God, David knew God's word. God's word always promised that there would be a Messiah, a savior. David even knew that it would come from his line. David even spoke some of those prophecies. We've seen it fulfilled in this, in Romans 5.8. God demonstrates, and I put it in the New King James Version, Because of the word demonstrate. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What bigger wondrous display of God's faithful love is there than he put his son on the cross and had him die for the sins of the world? As protector of the innocent and righteous, God shows and demonstrates his wondrous love. Look at what David says then. David says another way that you show it is in your protection. He says, protect me as the pupil of your eye. This might be an odd thing for us to say, as the pupil of your eye. I hear the word pupil and I'm thinking student, but that's not what it means at all. It's talking about the actual eyeball and the pupil of it, and if you... Uh, know anything about the eye? It's the most vulnerable and therefore the most keenly protected organ in the body. We see today, we, we say today, however, the apple of one's eye—it's the treasure. Did you know that the reflex of the eye is the fastest reflex of the whole body? When when dirt or grit or something, anything is coming at someone's eye, it, the eye can close itself in one ten thousandth of a second. I don't know how they measured that. I have no idea how they measured that. And scripture states that the speed at which our eye closes is the speed at which the Lord protects those who are his. That's why David says, protect me as the pupil of your eye. And he says, another another way you do that is by hiding us. Hiding us in the shadow of your wings. He's not hiding us because he's ashamed of us. He's hiding us because he knows we're vulnerable. He's hiding us because he cares for us. He says, hide me in the shadow of your wings, knowing the Lord brings one under his protection of his wing as a mother bird guards her young and shields them from danger. David understands this. As we go through the Psalms, we're gonna see David touches on each and every one of these things. He has a heart set on God and he prays from the heart in that. In Psalm 36, seven, how priceless your faithful love. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And what is God's love protecting us from? God's love protects us from the wicked. God's love protects us from our enemies. Because when we, when we look to see our enemy, there is David describes our enemies. They're, they're uncaring. They don't care. That that you're trying to follow God, they could care less. David calls them uncaring. The original word would translate to "closed up their fat." And I said, "What? What the heck does that mean? Closed up their fat? It means that they. It, it's like when when you close up the fat. It's it's kind of like when your heart becomes calloused. It no longer cares. It's solidified. It's there. There's no." There's nothing raw there anymore. And they speak arrogantly. They advance against us. When we're in this world and we're seeking the love of God and and we're following after God's word and we have our hearts set on God, what you're going to find out is that you are surrounded by enemies who hate God. You're not weird. You're not by yourself either. Our enemy, the devil, would like us to believe that we're the only ones that are surrounded by enemies. We're the only ones that struggle with that. We're the only ones that feel like the world is against us. But if you remember what our Lord Jesus Christ said when he spoke to the disciples, he said, in this world you will have trouble. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And then he also had told them at other times, he says, this world will hate you. So why do we get upset when they do? Christ told us it was going to happen. We're like, oh man, I can't believe the world hates me. We need to be better, we need to be more palatable Christians so that the world doesn't hate us. No, God says if you're doing it right, the world hates you. So your enemies surround you. When you want to follow God and when your heart is following after God, the enemies surround you. And they're determined for one thing only. They want to do us in, they want to throw us to the ground. They're ready to pounce on us and tear us apart like a lion. a heart that knows God's love, knows that his love, however, is spectacularly wondrous and faithful. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He will not allow us to be destroyed. Even if we die in this life, we live forever with him. That is his promise. And that is what David looked forward to. Because when you pray from the heart, you're also praying from a heart that hopes in the Lord. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And David says, rise up, Lord. Confront him. Bring him down with your sword. Save me from men, from the men of the world, whose portion is in this life. You fill their bellies with what you have in store, and their sons are satisfied, and they leave their surplus to their children. But I will see your face in righteousness when I awake, I will be satisfied with your presence. David, David at this part, starts to take the strophes the and work them together in which he's sharing this idea. He says, this is what their priority is. God, I'm different. My priority is not the same as theirs. And then at the end, he says, and here, here's why my priority is in you. He's confident in the Lord's love and protection He asked God to rise up. He says, rise up, Lord. And and what he's saying when he says, rise up, Lord, and he says, save me, what he's saying is there's nothing in this world that can save me. I've turned to you, God. You're the only one who can save me. You're the only one, I believe, that will save me. We need to turn away from every other thing that we think can save us, from every other thing that we think can protect us, and we need to turn to the Lord. We need to call out upon him, and look at what he says. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't call out anything special. He doesn't say, Lord, save me by the might of all the military in the world. What does he ask God to save him by? He says, with your sword. We know that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. Saying, God, you can save me from the wicked with only your word. How many of us trust in God that if God were to give us his word, that would be enough for us? He says, with your hand, save me from men. Jesus told us that God holds us in his hand. There's none strong enough to pluck us out of his hand either. It's by his word that God will deliver David. It's by his word that it is sure. And it's by his word that David's heart hopes In the Lord. David says, save me from the men of this world. Save me from being like the men of this world. As he looks around, you know what he sees the men of this world doing? They're chasing after the things of this world. He says their portion is in this life only. My brother and sister in Christ, I want to warn you tonight. Make sure your portion is is not in this life only. For we know that this life is passing away, but it's the life that comes after that's eternal. We need to live for the eternal things. David says the men of this world, they only live for this life. They don't trust in the Lord. They don't hope in the Lord. Their hope is in their bellies how they can have their desires fulfilled in this life, how they can have their fill of this life, the things of this world. The Apostle John says, do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Those who love the world only has the portion in this life only. But David says, I'm not like them. Lord, protect me. Keep me from them. Don't let me be like them, Lord. And he says, my hope is in you. My desire is in the beyond this life. And look at what David looks forward to. He says, I will see your face in righteousness when I wake. How many of us look forward to that day of being in righteousness? We've only ever lived our lives in unrighteousness but to wake up in righteousness, in glory. David says, oh, that'll be great. And then look at what he says. He says, I will be satisfied in your presence. David says, in this life, I feel empty. I'm I'm not being fulfilled. I'm not satisfied. Why? Because he's not in the presence of God. He says, that will satisfy me. I ask you, what will satisfy your heart what will satisfy? Will you be satisfied by anything in this life or is your heart only satisfied when you are face to face with your Lord and Savior, Jesus? See, David says, my hope is to see you face to face, Lord. Not mere contact with the Lord, not merely saying, hey, I saw, I saw God from afar. He's speaking of a uninhibited fellowship with the Lord God no longer hidden by that shroud that separates us in this life in the next life when we are glorified through the power through the exchange that we had in the righteousness of Jesus Christ by placing our faith and trust in him that separation between us and God is gone forever and we will know him in a way we've never known him before David says I'll be satisfied then because until then I don't know you close enough, Lord." can't wait to be clothed in righteousness and to stand before my God. And then he says, when I wake, David's not talking about, you know, I'm gonna go to sleep tonight, and Lord, I, I hope I wake up in your presence as, a, as if he's just waking up on another day. What he's talking about is when I die, I know that I'll wake in your presence. When we die in this life on this plane, when we close our eyes and take our final breath here, as we exhale here, Our next breath is breathing in in heaven, in the presence of God. Paul tells us in the Corinthians, absent from the body is presence with the Lord. A heart that hopes in the Lord will not be disappointed in death. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you go, if the Lord calls you home and you happen to die before he comes back in raptures, if you die before that, you're not going to be disappointed. You will still wake in the presence of God. Those who've gone before us have not been disappointed. You know what they've had? Vindication by God. What David asked for at the beginning of the prayer Lord, vindicate me. Throughout this prayer, David's focused on God, David's focused on the truth of eternity. That's what sets his heart, that's what sets his eyes. God and eternity. The promise of eternal deliverance, being in the presence of God. But that wasn't to the exclusion of the present day. He had real trouble. Saul was really trying to kill him, David was really asking God to save him. Don't miss the fact that we look forward to the future, but we still live for the day. It's both the present and the future. We trust today to God and we trust our tomorrow to God. What we need to be sure of is this. We trust to God whom we pray from our hearts as we set them, our hearts upon him, as he cleanses our hearts before him, as we desire his word, as we know his love and as we hope in him. Because in a real sense, we can enjoy these things now. See, when Christ died on the cross, The veil was torn in two. The veil that separates us between God and us was taken away. He made the sacrifice on the holy place. And those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ don't have that separation between them and God anymore. Christ has invited them in, gives them access to the throne room of the Father. Sure, we can't see him right now, but that's why we wait for that glorious hope. But that separation is gone. We can know God, and we can get closer to him today, closer fellowship with him. Uh, We can have his righteousness in our lives now. We can be truly awake, living according to his pathways, conforming us to his image. Know that eternal life, you don't wait for eternal life. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're living your eternal life now. Some of us say, I can't wait until eternity so I can start living. No, start living for eternity now. You're already eternal. Because Christ said, he who believes in me and my name, though he dies, he shall live. Turn our hearts more towards him as we seek him from our heart. You and I, as God's children, we look out on a world that's against us and we're like a, a little boy who was playing in a vacant lot. Saw this big old weed. It's not too hard for us to imagine, especially after this rainy season we had this year. I let my weeds get really big. They're, they're a the tree trunk. I had a tree trunk. I was pulling on this thing, so this story really struck me. A man happened to stop by and he watched him and the little fellow, he was pulling on one side and he was grunting. He'd get on the other side and grunt. And finally, with one great, Supreme effort, he, he pulls with all his might and he's thrown back and he falls. And he sits there shocked. And the man who's been watching him says, wow, that was a mighty big pull. And the boy goes, it sure was. I had to pull that hard because the whole world was pulling back. And that is the position of the child of God today the whole world pulls back against us, but we have resource, we have recourse when we come to our Heavenly Father, praying from our heart. That's what our Lord did when he was on earth. That's what David did when he was in real danger, being chased by Saul's men. David set himself apart from what the men of this world lived for. He said, I would only be satisfied in this. He would never be satisfied until he saw God's face, until he received God's righteousness, until he awoke to live in heavenly glory, and until he was conformed in God's likeness, he was unsatisfied with this world. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, Lord, and we thank you so much for your word, We thank you so much for your servant David and how you allow us to see his heart as he writes to you, Father, as he prays to you. Father, you don't desire for us to just mimic these words, but you ask us to live these principles that you desire for us to come to you with a heart set upon you, presented before you for cleansing. Lord, we come to you now, and I pray that as, as we close in a song, Lord, use your spirit to speak to our hearts, reveal those places that we need to confess, confess, Reveal those places where we haven't turned our heart over to you. Reveal those places where we're living for this life, where we're living for for our portion in this life and show us how to turn it. Turn it away, turn it over to you, Father God, that we might live in a way that we are unsatisfied with anything that this life offers. We're only satisfied in you, Lord. I pray that as, as, as you speak to us that we would turn it to you Uh, you can either come forward we'll pray together pray where you're at but don't leave here tonight if the lord is revealing to you where he's calling to you father we give you our hearts in jesus name amen